Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. You pick, obviously, by taste, as well as, I mean, there's equipment, it's called refractometer that measures it, but it's got to be, like, you tasting, not just the... You know, if Sauvignon Blanc is one of... When you, you, when you work with uh, aromatic varieties, like Sauvignon Blanc is one of them, yeah. um, you can actually taste a lot in the grape. Even though there is a lot of sugar in the berry, yeah. you can actually start getting the flavors and the profile you're looking. Really? More tropical, more citrusy, more grassy. Oh. You, uh, you really feel it in the clusters and it's really helping you adjusting your uh, winemaking and your uh, timing to pick. That's and it's one of the only varieties that you can really focus on flavors. Yeah, it really shifts from citrus to, from lemon to grapefruit, and then next thing you're tasting stone fruit, and then two weeks later you're into the pineapple stuff. Pineapple, it's, lychee. It's one of those where wow. you really yeah. see the, the evolution in the vineyard. Yeah. So you're trying to catch it, uh, what's optimal in your mind, of what you want eventually right. to be tasted yeah. in a wine. Yeah. And then that's the question though, what's optimal in your mind? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't have the answer yet, but we are in a journey for sure, and I feel like I feel like every year we're getting better. I feel like the 2019 we just crushed is it's phenomenal, and the 2018 that in barrels now is uh, w- very exciting. Maybe the best we made until now. So I'm actually I'm very excited about the Sauvignon Blanc. I, I like it a lot. So you said it sold out right away. How did your mailing list come about? How did people <laughs> learn about you? You know, um, I don't know. Sometimes in life it's about luck and uh, trying to do the right things, and good things happen to you. And for us, I'm, I'm rubbing you for good luck for Aliyah <laughs> because you seem to have plentiful good luck. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm just you know. I think I believe that I believe in good luck, but I also believe that you have to work for it, and you really have to put your energy to it and make it work. Yeah. Um, for us, we decided to launch the brand. We got great attention from a lot of friends that heard what we are doing. I feel like the, our story really makes sense to a lot of people. And one of the first media we got uh, was, uh, we don't have a PR or anything, but uh, uh, Rob Report wrote a big article about us uh, as the new up and coming brand from Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. And that helped really launch the brand. Decanter chose as one of the hottest things coming from Napa. Decanter magazine and gave it high scores because we didn't submit the wine, but uh, they tasted and they gave it high scores. and. Uh, and it's really just was a yeah. I mean, the report was was huge for us because they they did their article when we released the wine in like September of last year. Um, we did an interview with Sarah Snyder, and I remember being in a pig. We didn't know when the article was going to come out, and I remember like checking my phone at four in the morning, and then checking it at six, and had like all these people signing up for the mailing list, and I remember calling Maya. I was like, check the raw report. I bet you the report came out today because this is just jumping up. Yeah. So we're, then, we're very lucky in that for sure. And then she also named more 16 Sauvignon Blanc, the best Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S. this year. So that gave us even more attention. Um, and then, I mean, we've been going to events, traveling, telling people and just working. I think we've been around in long enough for me, with, uh, especially on the distribution side. Um, through Atelier Melka, I've been involved in a lot of events. People learned about me and were curious to see what I'm going to do and what's the next for me as well. And when we introduced this brand, even distribution, we had really great people that approached us and said, hey, we want to represent you here. Are you interested? And really, we didn't have wine, so we said no in the beginning. But now slowly we are growing, so we are starting to open markets. But for us, it was a very, again, talking about luck and goals, we wanted to work with good people. 
Uh, you know, this is our baby, but also it's a soul project. We want to work with the right people. So every market we opened until now, it's a personal relation. We went there, we met the people, we told them, we, we told them all the story and who we are and what's the goal of the brand. It's not about just selling wine, it's about telling our story. And I think it's been working really well for us um, for now. Anyway. <laughs> well, especially in today's marketplace, I'm kind of marveling at what you're saying. Yay, Sarah, congratulations on the great press. It's very important. Um, however, also, the market is so saturated. There's so many distractions. So many. And so for many. you to have people asking you for wine, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're lucky, it's, uh, but um, we're trying to over-deliver, and that was our goal. This is even our price points. I mean, the, this Sauvignon Blanc, uh, it's, it's a wine that we did really, uh, it's uh, representing the brand. This is 45 bucks retail, and it's really on the, we barely make any profit on it, but it's really, we wanted to have wines that people can drink, and not just, we don't want to have, have a trophy wines. Uh, our Napa Valley Cabernet is uh, 75 retail. And so we keeping those prices. We committed for a few years to keep the prices without uh, bumping them because we really we're trying to tell our story, but we are trying uh, to reach to the client, to the end client, but also make it valuable for him and over deliver. And that's our goal. Well, how many cases do you make? Uh, well, first vintage we started with a total of about six hundred cases. Okay. Um, 2017 we grew a little bit, 2018 we over a thousand cases. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to get to close to 2,000 cases okay. in the end and then we'll, we'll reconfigure what we're doing then. Yeah. Uh, and we figure it. Chardonnay Which, joining the portfolio, any other plans for anything else? Yeah, our portfolio, we just had a meeting this uh, today. Our portfolio is growing uh, slowly. So when we introduced the brand, we had three wines coming out to the market immediately. Mm -hmm. It was... Um, in August, we released our Sauvignon Blanc we are trying and the Napa Valley Cabernet. Mm -hmm. So we already released the 17 Napa Valley Cabernet and uh, sold out and closed the list. And uh, the reserve is coming out in February, the 2017. Uh, but moving forward with 2018, we are also presenting uh, three single vineyard wines. And uh, we're going to have the Chardonnay. And that's, that will be it. But, and the concept behind it is uh, something that really we, we feel like it really represents what we are doing. We have, a, it's a, we have the, the base, we have the Napa Valley, which is the blend of any vineyard we're working with. Uh, it's, it's about 50% new oak, 16 months in barrels, well-made, beautiful wines. For 75 bucks, I think we can only be proud. It's not bulk, we're not sourcing. We are making every, every drop in the wine, we're making it from grape to bottle and with our commitment behind. And so it's a blend of five vineyards now. Mm -hmm. uh, just above it, you can taste the single components in those single vineyards. You're going to have three single vineyards, one from St. Helena, one from Oak Knoll, and one from Coombsville. Mm -hmm. And those are the main three components inside of the Napa Valley blend. So you can have an idea of the blend, have an idea of the vineyards themselves. And then the top of the pyramid will have the reserve. And the reserve will be, in our mind, the best wine of the year, which will be either best barrel selection or best performing vineyard. We keep it pretty open for ourselves to try to really make a unique wine um, that we feel like uh, the best we did, we made. Now, and I just want listeners to really hone in on this. $75 for a Cabernet, I mean, great price point, but what, what about this value added? Your barrel regime clearly speaks to the fact that you want wine to hit the optimal point. Right. I mean, 20 months or something in Blanc, that's not usual by any stretch of any imagination. So no. your fruit source <laughs> is stellar, the fruit costs money. Right. Good yeah. fruit just does, that's what it is. So, uh, we have patience. 
yeah. uh, <laughs> the way we build the brand um, again we have I am I have a real job which is director of Amy King and Melka Miguel and Pete they farmers they farm they manage the vineyards they have a farming company mm-hmm. and this brand is really trying to tell our stories uh, this brand is really trying to tell our is uh, uh, tired <laughs> <laughs> uh, this brand is really trying to tell our story uh, in, an, in a different eyes because I feel like when we started to work on it we're, we're we had a few years that we tried a lot of the 90s and the 90s of Napa Valley really capture our eyes because they're I think the biggest Parker years were late 90s, early 2000s, and then the wines became, from 2000 to 2009, I think it's the era that Napa really pushed it to the ripe approach mm-hmm. and ripe winemaking. Mm-hmm. The wines of the 90s are just beautiful. 90, maybe if we put 92 and 97 aside, because it was more of a moderate weather years and the wines are a little riper, yeah. uh, but the rest of the years were a little fresher, 94, 95, 98 is a cool, cool vintage. Those wines are beautiful. They're a little higher acid than we used to today, uh, but have great structure behind them. They still have the power and the texture, but they're not heavy. And I feel like for us, Lapel is a little bit that. We're trying to make those kind of wines that will f- make wine for food because yeah. wine has to accommodate food. And every chef we work with, we've been doing a lot of events with chefs and not a lot, but a few events with chefs. And... Um, Everyone, it's very easy for them because those are very approachable wines. Uh, the, the Cabernet is 14.1% alcohol, so it's not low, but it's on a fresher style. More on the red fruit, it's still very powerful, it's still Napa Valley, uh, but definitely a little bit more elegant and a little bit approach, more approachable. Um, it sounds to me that you want the wines to stand the test of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a big value in your winemaking philosophy. Very much, and I think even in with Philippe as well, we... When we bottle a wine, we have to love it. And we feel like if you put something very balanced in a bottle from day one, and you don't have any sharp edges around it, it will also age like that. Yeah. If you're pu- putting something that's already broken or too aggressive or something is pulling to one direction, it will never balance back. You know, tannins can go away, they can soften up with time, but they're changing the chemistry of the wine. If there's too much acid or t- not enough acid, uh, too much alcohol or not enough every element in the wine has to work and be well integrated and really be um, already be a balanced wine and that's that's our biggest focus as well we want to make a balanced wines and so that's why they drink really well when they're young because yeah. they went to the bottle very balanced but their ageability is huge we hope anyway we and f- then we feel like. when we opened the cab because I think the Napa Valley cab is the wine we've had the most in our lives probably Right. We, we, there was a time we were drinking it every week uh, after we bottled it, and just seeing the evolution in this short time, it's it's amazing. And and I mean, they're babies now, so we we can see how much they're going to continue to evolve. Uh, no, I, I love this approach. Like harmony, it's really the hallmark of what you do. Um, and you made some interesting comments about the vintage variation '98, which was um, quite panned by the press. I'm sad to say. Right. But it was a classic case in my mind of baby with the bathwater. Yeah. They were panning it for reasons that made it age-worthy, at least in cases. And by the way, it was not the same for white wines, that vintage as you know, as it was for reds. They kind of all got lumped together. But also the hard work that was performed in the vineyard, which I'm sure was nerve-wracking. I know that it was one of the most challenging vintages of contemporary um, Napa history. Um, when the work was done right, the wines ended up being this beautiful, elegant gems that will last right. and last. And, and I'm sure that 
when you compare them to 97 because yeah. they came right after 97 yes. so it was really not fair um, it's a little bit like 2013 or 2010 yeah. those vintages are very masculine vintages and everything yeah. that comes after like feels soft yeah. and uh, 2097 was almost a perfect vintage it reminds a little bit of 2007 then in 92 there's a very moderate weather throughout the growing season and yeah. you have a very long season with nice balance in the vineyard on the red fruit fresh soft wines are drinkable and got high scores and then you come out with 98 which is a bit more rustic a little bit cooler higher acid yeah. a little greener notes and um but time proved otherwise i mean now you tried 98s they're mind-blowing they're, they're singing they're, they're they? gorgeous and it's just different functionality right i mean 97s perhaps in the early stages was very approachable hedonistic and right. there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing nope. wrong with sexy but 98 was a bit difficult to get right. to know but yeah. now it's in its maturity it's so cerebral and so beautiful yeah. and i feel like maybe 2011 will be a little yeah. bit like that but Thank not you i was thinking that. Uh, <laughs> the, the one biggest difference was 2011 was uh, uh, wetter than uh, 98 yeah. uh, 98 was cooler but 2011 was a little bit more uh, wetter rain yeah uh, so it was really about site specific and farmers uh, because then, uh, you know, we always laugh, it's a winemaker vintage or a farmer's vintage. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was really the sites that could have the ability to go in and clean the vineyards because of botrytis or, yeah. or really adjust the farming or react quickly. They made beautiful wines. I mean, I think 2011 Screaming Eagle is it's one of the best wines I made in Napa since I moved there. It's a gorgeous yes. wine. And um, so I think that the site is important and the, the budget and how can you can react in the vineyard. I'm sure you guys in 2011 were running around trying to react in every vineyard and do whatever you can. And, and also it makes a big difference when the winemaking is, is expressing the vintage. Yeah. Right? Exactly. If you're, if you're okay you. with 2011 and you make a wine for 2011, those wines are beautiful. But if you're trying to make 2010 and 2011 and you're waiting and waiting and by the time you pick the fruit, it's mush. Those wines that were kind of just like pushed into something that they were not for that vintage. They don't really perform because just that the season was not, didn't have the conditions to make super ripe, sexy wines, as you said. Yeah. And also, I think 2011 kind of helped shift the pendulum of ripeness in the valley because people realize, oh, like we don't have to be 17% alcohol to make good wines. Look at 2011, some of these wines are beautiful. So that's when things kind of started shifting back to, to more balance and thinking of. of picking a little earlier or just managing things a little different to, to not have to get 100% full power, full ripeness or over ripeness and all those type of uh, things that were happening in the early 2000s. I think it's a great segue into you know what I was going to talk to you a little bit about which is not blending to style but blending to vintage. I think yeah. there's a huge <laughs> differential. It's a big discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, not, I, f I feel like even since I moved here in the last uh, eight years, Napa is changing. Napa, yeah. like we said, there is the eras, right? And Parker yeah. retired and we have the wine critics that are, they're still very important part of the game and the part of what we are doing mm -hmm. to tell our story to the consumers. But they don't have as huge impact like Parker or like the critics back then, like you Johnson. And I f so I feel like people are more open to taste wines but they're trusting their own palate yeah. um, so I feel like the producers are also adjusting slowly but I think it's a great comment I think there's a very different approach of winemakers that are trying to make a new world wine yeah. and hit a style than trying to make great wines that represent the site it's a very very different approach in winemaking 
and um, we can touch a little bit about it, but it goes back to the farming, yeah. always. We always end up in the farming, and so we can blame the farmers. And uh, then after that, it goes straight to the winemaking. We, harvest timing is a key. It plays a big role of uh, when, how the, what's the profile of the wine you're going to get. And then the way you're going to extract and the way you ferment, the temperature fermentations, how, how far you're going to push the, the grapes and how far you're going to push the fermentation to extract the texture. And, and then we can manipulate wines, obviously. So it's really a decision you're going to make. Um, and I feel like some winemakers in Apple still, that's their approach and they're very successful. Uh, but the general conception is definitely uh, more of wine that represents great sites because it's slowly, t we're talking about Burgundy model, I think Napa is Burgundy model in a way. Like it's becoming smaller or smaller, smaller. You have the Tokalon of the world, you have the Pritchard Hills uh, vineyards and, and slowly you're trying to capture that. Else why investing so much money in grapes that are coming from there? Mm -hmm. so. No, I think there's so many um, evolving philosophies. I mean, we're in new wine culture. And it's that dialogue that you touched upon earlier when you guys collaborate and talk to each other and kind of hone in and this nuggets and then implement and see the physical representation yeah. of that concept that was in your mind. And, you know, your creative juices are flowing. It's, it's so immensely exciting. You know, yeah. And Nap Napa is such a beacon. You know, people always look up to it. Yeah. And the one thing I learned about Napa, and it's very interesting for me, it's one of the most open environments I ever saw in my life. Uh, I, I can, I mean, my phone, I'll show you, I've been texting with maybe 10 winemakers just today. And we're all very open for conversations. I mean, I was laughing because I just got an email from a good friend of mine, a text message from Chris Tynan, which is the winemaker for Cliff Lady. Mm -hmm. He just texted me to ask me something. So I never, I never met an environment that's so open to help each other and teach each other. Yes. Um, and because the competition, yeah, we always compete. Everyone wants to be successful, right? But, but there is room for everyone. I mean, we all, there is, Napa is so strong and such a, have a, such a great reputation that I feel like the grape growers, the Napa Valley Vintners, the, the winemaker societies around here uh, really help each other and really push each other. And if I have something in the vineyard that I'm curious, I'll, I'll call Miguel, but I also call to a few other friends that are farmers to get their opinion. And, and same with the winemaking. So I feel like that's really, maybe it's more of a new world approach. Yeah. But it's uh, but I think it's a good one. I think it's uh, gonna gonna help Napa to move forward and develop a great culture around the the winemaker society and the farmers, viticulturists, and I love that. In that sense, it's gonna open source information, Silicon Valley esque mentality. I think right. it's super healthy. I agree. Um, and that tide floats all boats. That yeah. old adage. Right. If we're all, doing, we're all making better wines, we're all going to be more successful in the end. It's good for the consumer. At the end of the right. day, they benefit the most. They drink right. better today than they did even two years ago, in my opinion. I agree. Um, so it's, it's very exciting. Congratulations on the recent, recent honor of wine enthusiast <laughs> 40 oh. under 40. <laughs> like, which, which one? <laughs> what, yeah, what did no, I do that's now? That's <laughs> yeah. Um, we're laughing because I, I actually just got the magazine a few days ago and I officially the oldest on the list. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, wow, I think I'm really the oldest here. It's really sad. <laughs> but you clearly yeah. saw your dynamic personality and your talent yeah. and decided to highlight it. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you. And um, it's, it's great. I mean, it's fun. It's always fun to get recognition. Don't get me wrong. But it's another for me when I moved to the U.S. and start working here always try to be the best and try to work with the best, learn from the best, but also put my name out there and put my reputation and really work hard for it. And it's just another step in my journey. And I, it's great. I mean, the wine enthusiasts are, 
super nice. I mean, it came out of the blue and they reached out to me and said that I'm, congratulations, I'm one of uh, the last 100 of the list. And like, wow, list of what? And uh, it was like the 40 under 40. And then a month later, they reached out and said that I was chosen as one of the 40 under 40. So it was fun. Tastemakers of America. As Israeli, it's even more exciting for me. Uh, mm. To be an Israeli immigrant to the US, yeah. the land of opportunities, and in eight years be able to be part of the list of the tastemakers of America and really impact and help Napa and make better wines here and learn from everyone. It's, it's, been, it's been fun. It's been a great year. So I'm assuming you're here to stay. You no longer think about <laughs> moving back. I always think about moving back. <laughs> I, uh, you know, home is home, like we say. But, uh, yeah. uh, but I have Miguel. Miguel will uh, take care of La Pelle and uh, I'll come once a year. And uh, now, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, it's a good question. Uh, for now, I'm here to stay. I love what I do. I love working with the people I work. I, I wake up in the morning with a smile. I mean, I don't think I had any mornings. Well, some of the early mornings are tough, but, <laughs> but most of the mornings I wake up and I love what I do. I really do. So it makes it much easier. Um, one day, maybe, my son is now is nine years old oh, wow. and he moved here when he was 10 months. So it's, uh, it's been, he's, a, he's a little Californian kid and I have two two younger kids that are 100% Americans, Californians. So it's always the challenge and you ask yourself about who you are. I'm Israeli and I will always be Israeli. I, was, I served the army and I love Israel and we only speak Hebrew at home and we try to teach them. So I don't know, it's a good question. So I definitely see myself at some point in life back home, uh, but I don't think I will ever leave Napa. Even if I move back home, I will never leave Napa. I, I fell in love with Napa and I see my life around here. No, you never really leave your love, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, my first week at work, I was working with Nicky Slason at Screaming Eagle, and I always uh -huh. laugh because uh, he told me, not the first, when I finished the vintage, and uh, it was November or December, and he offered me to stay. And then he said, you know, man, I think we walked the vineyard. I will never forget it. He said, you, you're going to stay here for at least 10 years. And I looked at him and I said, 10 years? Where is this coming from? I came here for a couple of years. I'm going to work with you, and I'm moving back home. And he said, no, trust me, it's going to be 10 years. And since, until today, every time we meet, he said, so where are we? It's eight and a half years now. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I, um, I, I really enjoy myself. I love what I do here. I love the people around me. And uh, I get to go home. I make wine in Israel. Um, I also consult around the world. Um, so I'm not always in Napa, maybe 90% of my time. Mm -hmm. um, I actually make Sauvignon Blanc in five different places in the world, which makes it even more exciting for me. Such as? Um, I make one in Santa Barbara uh -huh. uh, for a brand we work with. Uh, I make one in the foothills. Okay. Uh, I make one in uh, Washington State in, in uh, the Red Mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, new plantings, we're just making the first vintage from that. Uh, and then uh, we make one in Chile and then I make one in Israel. So it's really, I'm closing all around and I, I love Sauvignon Blanc, so it's really fun. And uh, so I'm lucky to work in different different areas and I go to France once or twice a year as well. So oh, you get to work different countries provide different opportunities for collaborations, harvests at different times of year. I mean it's a great learning yeah. opportunity as well as And I think it's a key. Like yeah. Miguel said in the beginning, it's a key as a winemaker, as an international winemaker, as an international yeah. farmers. It's um I feel like it's a really a key to be a great winemaker or to really learn what you to make sure you're doing the right things is to keep going out and see other places yeah. uh, 
keep exploring your palate as well where you get used to drink napa valley and it's great wines don't get me wrong but you have to explore other wines to really appreciate what we make here so for me and most of the times we meet we'll taste we'll taste wines from all over other regions in Cali other places in california or anywhere in the world yeah. and same for the winemaker i go to chile and i'll blend chilean wines and i'll taste chilean wines and i'll help them fermentations uh, working on fermentation same with washington state so it keeps your palate fresh i go to israel for a week i focus on mediterranean varieties i make it carignan marcelan grenache syrah Morved, and then uh, in some white varieties and then i come back here straight into the cab again and it's it's really reset your brain every time and, and your okay. palate and it's i think it makes you a better winemaker in the end Absolutely, 100%. Miguel, you've now been the consummate insider. You started at a very young age in Napa. As you observe the valley evolve, what are your thoughts about the future? Where do you see Napa now and what, what are you worried about conversely? What do you think is really working well? Um, I, think, I mean, I think Napa has a bright future. The worry, the main worry for me is the price of living here is crazy expensive mm. yeah. so you know like I we work with during the peak of summer we have 400 employees working oh my goodness um, and and you know most of them don't live in Napa because they can't afford to live in Napa and and we're paying them 18 15 hours so we're paying them a decent wage uh, but when you really multiply that it's like 35 thirty thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. it's not enough to live in Napa so it's not a sustainable sustainability of the farming industry in Napa it's it's not very bright in the future because yeah. people are driving from Stockton two and a half hours each way mm -hmm. two hours every day mm -hmm. so on the long term like is that sustainable probably not yeah so th that is what worries me the most okay. um, but I mean you know the grape growers and 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 Places like that are trying to figure out solutions, but I think it's it's very complex because it's not just Napa; it's California in general. Of course. Um, so that is to me that's that's one of going to be one of the main challenges in the future what is it? just labor. Um, and what excites me the most is just that there's a lot of young people with new ideas that are in the valley, and and just the interactions and and, and exchange of ideas and. And knowledge is, is is the best, you know, and, and I'm part of a couple of tasting groups and you meet with people once or twice a month and you taste wines and you educate each other and and just keeps you engaged. And so the friendships and the interactions and the people I would make the valley what it is. A human terroir. Yeah, exactly. Well, you guys have been incredibly gracious to sit down and have um, a conversation during such an intense sum of years. So really appreciate that. Um, Lapel Wines is the website that you guys need to look into and sign up. I know the wines are sold out, as you mentioned. But yeah, we we yeah joined the mailing list and uh, we promised we, we offer to the mailing list first, obviously. And, um, and there's some projects in the pipeline that are exceptionally exciting. So. Yeah, it's really fun. We have a few things and we're really enjoying it. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, we're in, uh, just starting the harvest in the reds. We're almost done with the whites for 2019. Mm -hmm. um, I'm finishing Pinots and some Syrahs next week and then start definitely starting to pick young vines cabs right now mm -hmm. um, and more rocky sites, more stressed sites. Uh, Merlots are coming. Uh, so it's, it's going to be another great vintage. We had a great 
uh, moderate weather until now. August was a little bit warmer, uh, but overall everything is looking great out there. So we're excited. As long as we don't have any more dramas in for this vintage, everything is going to be great. And uh, that's what we are so lucky in Napa. I mean, the vintages are so they're so consistently great since 2012 until pretty much today. Yeah, agreed. Well, um, thank you very much for a great conversation, and it's going to be an ongoing dialogue because fellow Sauvignon Blanc lovers, so you can sit down and go over it again um, in short order and talk about your new projects. So yeah, and you can come taste barrels. Oh, yes. We can sure. try the 18 and the 19. You'll see uh, a little bit of the, how the wine evolves. It's very, very intriguing. Oh, I'm there. Again, thank you so much, both of you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week.